hope that you have it marked to chapter 8 of the gospel according to Mark. A reading under examination this morning. We begin in chapter 8, verse 22. The Bible says, And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a man, blind man, and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and he led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, he said, Do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And he sent him home saying, do not even enter the village. Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we ask you that you will take these words today from your word. Lord, you would hide me behind the cross of Christ. Lord, may Christ be exalted. And may your people today see Christ clearly. Lord, may the Son of God be elevated May the one here today or under the sound of my voice who does, does not know you, and maybe today, Lord, after hearing the good news, they'll fall to their knees in repentance and cry out to the Messiah, asking for salvation, for the forgiveness of their sins. Lord, we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. It hasn't been very long ago, I... Um, I went in for an eye examination, and for, for many of you today, this is quite a, a very common practice, right? As you get older, you have to get spectacles and reading glasses and so forth and so on. And, but for me, I'm 46 years old, and I have never had an eye examination. Up until a year ago, I've never had an eye, an eye exam. And taking my doctor's advice, I made an appointment. And I followed through with that appointment. I went in. I filled out the paperwork. It took about an hour, by the way. I mean, I've never been to the eye doctor at all. So I'm like looking at this paperwork, okay. A lot of the same questions that you get when you, you, know, when you go to a, a, a regular doctor. I filled out the paperwork and I get back to the examination room and the the ophthalmologist uh, begins looking into my eye, shining in lights from all sides. And I'm like, uh-oh, something, there's something wrong. He went to the other eye. Well, like, oh, yeah, he has to check the other eye, too. He shines the light in both sides, and he sees, he sees no, uh, no anomalies or no glycoma, nothing that would raise, raise concern. And, and then he instructed, me, he, said, he instructed me to sit down and look at the chart and and see if I could read the letters on certain lines. And I began to read the letters. And he said, well, how does this look uh, up close? How does this look far away? And I, I read all that he had asked me. And come to find out, I've got 20-20 vision. Go figure. Never been to the eye doctor in 40, 45 years. And, and he tells me I had 20-20 vision. But then he also told me, he says, as you get older, you will certainly lose some of that 20-20 vision. And, and I can attest to that today. He said, you'll most likely need some reading spectacles to help you read as much as you do and will help you see up close. And so I found a pair of low-grade reading glasses at a retail store, and I, 
And I put them on, and, and I began to read the words, and they looked crisp and clear. Uh, in, in fact, they were clearer than I've ever read a page before in my life. And I'm like, wow, why didn't I get these earlier? Those who have glasses, you probably remember the first time that you put them on. It was like a whole world opened up to you. Now, I can't say in that moment, putting on a 1.25 prescription reading glasses is going to open up a whole new world to me, but it certainly helped reduce the strain on my eyes, and I saw what I was reading much clearer. And the reason I share this story with you today is I want us to think on what it takes to see more clearly the person of Jesus Christ. I want to speak to you today about having clarity concerning the person, his work, and his mission. Seeing clear the person of Jesus, his doctrine, and then your place in sight or in the eyes of a righteous and holy God. Who am I to Jesus? Who am I to Christ? Now, I'm speaking about having certainty today. How many want certainty? How many want certainty in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah? Listen to the letter of John, the first letter of John, chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. Listen to these words. This is the clarity. This is the surety that we can have. This is, this is the certainty that we can have. We know that we are from God. Do you know that? We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. So that we may know him who is true. He is truth, by the way. And we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So we can know Jesus with certainty. If we've been saved and transformed by the Holy Spirit of God, you have a faith that is unshakable. There isn't many things in this world that we have certainty of, but a child of God that is saved in Christ has that certainty. So far, if we were to look in the Gospel of Mark, where we've been so far, we see Jesus. So we want to see Jesus clearly, amen. He had performed many miracles, and he began making a name for himself. In fact, you'll find words over and over again in God's Word. A great multitude gathered. In a phrase that appears over and over again. Phrases like, a great multitude began to gather. Phrases like, people came from all over. The Bible doesn't necessarily dig into the motives of everybody that came. But Jesus certainly was drawing all folks to himself. This is a demonstration of the wonderful power of our Lord Jesus. To draw men to himself. In fact, the Bible even says of Jesus, if I be lifted up, I will draw just a few people to myself. Is that what that says? No, it says, I will draw all men to myself. I will draw all people unto me. He had fed over, think about it, he had fed over 10,000 people easily with bread and fish. 
both of the cases with 4,000 people and 5,000. We have children and women that are in addition to this multitude, giving us somewhere over 10,000 people that our Lord Jesus fed in both cases. Both cases combined. Our Lord fed them all. And the Bible says that they went home, they were filled, and they were satisfied. Just as amazing as feeding the miracle. I want you to listen to this. Just as amazing as that miracle is in the Bible. Just as amazing is his teaching and doctrine. Because he began to teach rightly in front of his disciples. As, uh, as he combated the false ideology and the theology of the Pharisees. Jesus instructed his disciples to beware of that leaven. Look at verse 15 of chapter 8. He cautioned his disciples. He said, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. What is this leaven? Well, it's sin. What is the sin exactly? What are we to watch out for? We are to watch out for doubt. We are to watch out for deceit. We are to watch out for any misconstrued ideology of Israel among different people groups teaching the Son of God came to seek and to save the nations as much as he did his own people. Beware, as this lesson is before us, when the Pharisees would teach, keep away from me, you unclean person. Jesus would teach, come to me all who are heavy laden, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Pharisees would say, you stay over there, you're different than I am, you're not of the house of Israel. You unclean Gentile and Jesus would teach, come to me all who are heavy laden and I will make you whole. Come and be made whole. Not just not just your ailment, not just your inability to walk, your inability to see and hear, but to be made whole, your sin be forgiven. He began to teach his disciples, pointing ever to his kingship, pointing to his character and to his nature. He began to teach rightly on observing the Sabbath and the law. In fact, he said of himself that he is indeed the Lord of the Sabbath. The disciples did not understand everything that the Lord Jesus was teaching. And that's fitting since the Holy Spirit had not yet regenerated them or quickened them. It makes sense, doesn't it? Well, they didn't get everything because they were not born again. They didn't get everything because they were not regenerate. The Holy Spirit of God did not fall upon them. They walked with the Lord Jesus. They walked closely with Him and heard Him but the Holy Spirit of God had not yet quickened them, made them alive spiritually. But I want you to know that these verses that we have read, they show the sometimes, if you will, dullness that we exude as disciples while looking into the things of our Lord. And that really is the beauty of Scripture. That's the beauty of God's Word. It is, it is obviously honest it is dreadfully honest the scriptures show the realness of humanity it shows the realness of humanity and the power of our God now I said this a few weeks ago and I, and I hold firm to this the greatest anthropology lesson that you can ever receive can be found in the Word of God it's not a document more realistic 
concerning the nature and character of humankind that exists that is greater than the Word of God. So with your copy of God's Word before you and your place in Mark held in chapter 8, let's, uh, let's look together. This episode today of Jesus healing a blind man, the blind man from Bethsaida. With your, with your place marked in God's Word, let's, uh, let's look on this narrative today written by the hand of Mark the Evangelist. If you remember a few of the themes that we talked about in the book of Mark are Jesus Christ, the suffering servant, the servant Jesus. The Son of God, Savior of the world. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. The Savior, the Messiah that Israel longed for, that humanity longed for. But the verses today deal with Jesus healing a man that was blind. There's a few things that we can learn uh, of, this, of this narrative. At first glance, it seems as if Jesus uh, was healing this, this, uh, this blind man with a two-step process of healing. By the way, do you really believe that Jesus needs a two-step process in healing? Could not he say, be thou healed, and the man would be healed? Do you think that he would use his two-step process of healing that the Lord Jesus uses here in order for the Bethsaidian man, uh, which is uh, close to Galilee, by the way, uh, to gain his clarity of vision? I submit to you, I submit to you a deeper ex examination reveals that everything that our Lord did here on earth, his ministry, his healings, his miracles, his preaching, was to teach about himself and to teach about humankind. Every action the Lord did gave glory to the Father, gave glory to God, and taught something in every case. There, there, is, there is no exception to the rule. Jesus uses this occasion with the blind man at Bethsaida to bring glory to God for the healing, but then to teach while doing so. Now, before we were in Christ, before you were in Jesus, before you were in saved, think, think for a moment, before you were saved, we walked around in spiritual blindness. We were dead in our sins. We were bumping into the things in the world, grabbing a hold of the things in the world that might give us pleasure or might give us satisfaction to fill the void uh, that we did not have, the void that we had because we were not in Christ. Grabbing a hold of it, uh, and, and by now, by the power of Christ, by the power of the Lord Jesus, our sight has been liberated to the glory of Jesus. I'll never forget the first time that I walked out of a church after falling on my knees before the Lord Jesus, asking him to forgive me of my sins. I'll never forget walking outside of that church for the first time and the trees were greener, the, the breeze smelt better as it come across my nose. Things were just new. And so our objective, my objective for us today for you today, for me today, is simply to see Jesus a little clearer today than we did yesterday. That's a good objective, isn't it? To see Jesus a little clearer today than we did yesterday. So what does this narrative teach us in verse 22? Let me, let me read verse 22. 
The Bible says they came to Bethsaida and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch to touch him. I want to look at verse 23 too. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes, he laid his hands on him and he asked him, he said, do you see anything? Do you see anything? I think very important to this is what Jesus does here with the man. I think this teaches us a very important lesson. Sometimes in our lives, we need to distance ourselves from doubt and doubters. Sometimes we need to distance ourselves, if we are not mature enough in our faith, we need to distance ourselves from things that are toxic in our lives. Distance ourselves. Now, I'll explain a little bit how we, how we see Jesus do this. I know there is the need for the Christ follower to be able to articulate what you believe and navigate through through doubts with a reasonable response uh, to faith in Christ. In fact, in fact, I, if I were to ask you, think with me for a moment. If I were to ask you today, why do you believe in Jesus? How would you answer that question? What makes Jesus so special? What do you believe about the Son of God? How would you be able to answer that? Why do you believe what you believe? How would you answer that? I believe we need to be able to articulate clearly what we believe, foundations of our faith, and respond. Now, what we see is something completely different when we look at this narrative. This is whenever you are at your weakest point, because we've all been there, haven't we? We've all gone through stages in our life when we feel that we are in a spiritual drought. When you are at your weakest, someone or something comes along that casts doubt on your belief. Sometimes, listen carefully, sometimes it is best to distance yourself until you have confidence in Christ to press on. Now, don't hear me say you need to distance yourself from sinners. Now, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you need to distance yourself from sinners. Distance yourself from sin, not the sinners. I mean, they're the ones that need to hear the good news. Hey, I was a sinner one time, and you were too. And someone told you of the good news. Distance yourself from the ideas that spring forth doubt in our heart and mind. Until we have the confidence in Christ and in the word to tackle those doubts and difficult questions that arise. I think of, I think of following Christ and the scripture as a fine jewel. In my life now, being able to examine from all sides and seeing the beauty of it all. Hard questions and difficult questions and all. Following Christ is like a fine jewel. We can look at it from every angle and see its beauty. The one way we gain strength is through the scriptures. And so if you cannot take being around toxic people without it influencing you, distance yourself. 
Because that's what Jesus does here. Is Jesus our example? But see, Jesus, Jesus could have easily, he, it wouldn't have not influenced him towards sin in any way. But there's other people around as well. And so for the sake of making a statement, for the sake of teaching, Jesus, he takes the man by the hand, he leads him out of the village, and then heals him. He begins to heal him and he says, do you see anything? If we know anything about Bethsaida, it is on the outskirts of the Sea of Galilee, a place where Jesus' fame had spread as a miracle worker. And so he took this blind man that they had brought to him, by the way, in today's narrative. They brought him to the Lord, and he takes him outside of those influencers. And by the way, this is the city where Andrew and Philip and, and Peter were at. This was a fishing town positioned by the Sea of Galilee. And so here's a man... As blind as he is, being a stark parallel and an emblem for all who are spiritually blind and have no sight. So not only is Jesus teaching about this, these folks that are influencers and their unbelief, but he is also making a parallel between the emblem of all who are spiritually blind and have no sight. Listen to what Jesus does. And by the way, when you, uh, when you come to the Lord, if you will, when you become saved in Christ, this is how you do it. And what I mean by that, it's one-on-one. -on -one. It's you and the Lord Jesus. It's not you and Daddy. It's not you and Mama. It's not you and Uncle. It's not you and Grandma. It's you and Jesus one-on-one. -on -one. He took the blind man by the hand. He led him out of the village. Why? Why? To answer this question, we must rewind to Jesus' encounter with the Pharisees. The Pharisees asked Jesus to give them a sign, and he replied in verse 12 of chapter 8, and here's his reply. As he sighed deeply within his spirit, he said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign shall be given. In fact, Matthew says that a wicked and perverse generation seeks after a sign and no sign shall be given. No, no sign will be given. In fact, when dealing with the blind man, Jesus takes him out of ear and eyesight of the crowd. This, I believe, reverberates with no sign will be given. Now, as I, as I say that, there's others in your life, you might have some folks in your life who would cast doubt on the person of Jesus. If you want to cast down and cast shed on our Lord, you stand over there. He distanced himself from those that meant harm and discord for the kingdom of God. And sometimes, listen carefully, sometimes those folks are right inside the church. Stir up discord for the kingdom of God. I say to you, do not entertain it. Their unbelief drove the Lord to take the man away from the people. So the Lord, he spits on the man's eyes, he lays hands on, the, on him and to, to let us know something about this healing. 
He lets us know something about this healing that's going to take place. Jesus could have easily said, uh, your, your vision is, is clear now. Your eyes are open. Go and sin no more. As Jesus would heal people, he would say, be made whole or go and sin no more. He could easily have said, your eyes be open, be healed, go and sin no more. But Jesus is showing that he is, in, he is the one that is in control. He's the one that is in control of this healing. No one else. I mean, here is, the, here is the second person of the triune Godhead, God the Son, who had part in creation. When God said, let there be light, God the Son was there. So he could have easily said, be healed. He will heal if he sees fit to do so. And if he does not heal, he'll be totally justified, even if he doesn't. Why does God heal some and not others? The best I can say is he is sovereign. I don't know. Other to say that he is sovereign. Jesus asked the man, do you see anything? Do you see The man said to him, yeah, I see. I looked up and I see people. They're walking around like trees. They look like trees walking around, distorted. The healing process was taking root now. And the man could already begin to see figures, a little blurry, uh, if you will. But his eyes were beginning to open. They they looked like trees. They were large and warped. uh, But he knew that they were men. Even though they were distorted, he knew that these were people that were walking about, walking around. Jesus, he was going to heal the man. He had all intentions to do so, but he was going to do so in his sovereignty, in his will. But he first had to remove the man from the setting of disbelief. And in doing so, he demonstrates his ultimate supreme control over healing, his control over the method of healing. And if Mark the evangelist If he was showcasing Jesus as the sovereign son of God, as he is, then this narrative gives us great insight. I've had people who have passed away in my life. The Lord could have healed. But I see now by the Lord not healing that good things in their life have happened to bring others to come to Jesus. Again, I can't answer why God healed some and not others. Why didn't God heal anyone else in the village in this narrative? This episode teaches us of the Lord's great compassion for us that He wants us to see the reality of who He is and who we are and He wants us to see it clearly. Not our own sympathies. Not the way that we think it ought to be. Well, Lord, we think you ought to heal so-and-so. They're good in the community, or they're good here. We think you ought to do this or that, Lord. We think you ought to raise up your church without trial, without error, without persecution. And he wants us to see clearly who he is. So this is a lesson for you. It's a lesson for me on pursuing the clarity of our Lord. You think theology is important? You think theology is important for our children? 
you think it's important in your life? As R.C. Sproul wrote a book that said, everyone's a theologian. It's important to study about the person of God and to study about the person of Jesus. It teaches us to pursue the cl with clarity who our Lord is. You know, John Piper once said this. He said, seeing, this and seeing and savoring Jesus Christ is the most important seeing and savoring that you'll ever do. It's more important than your politics. It's more important than your nationality. It's more important than my selfish individualism. It's more important than all of those things. You know what, as, as we kind of struggle to go live and, uh, you know, and, and to broadcast upon social media and, and people to tune in for a Wednesday night or to tune in for those on Sunday morning, I'm convinced now that the only way that we might get some people to tune in to a sermon or a lesson on our, on our outlets, social media, is to throw a political picture, a quote, or a meme in front of it that reflects some political stance. And we might get some people to tune in then, wouldn't we? Hey, conspiracy theory, let's throw a picture up. Let's, let's give them the, the old bait and switch. Savoring Jesus is more important than your political affiliation. It is more important than your nationality. I'm proud to be an American. I am, and you should too. And enjoy your freedoms we have as citizens. But Jesus is more important than your politics, your nationality, and He is certainly more important than our, my selfish individualism. The most important seeing is seeing Jesus clearer. If you'll notice, the man did not see clearly at first, but over time, the Lord gave him clarity. If you think about it, this is how we walk with the Lord as well. In some way, this two-part process is a snapshot of disciple-making and pursuing Jesus. It really is. It's a snapshot of us growing in Jesus more and more, looking, as, looking like the Savior day by day. It's a snapshot of growing in Him and disciple-making. One of the most treasured times in my week, I've got to say, is our Thursday morning group that we meet together with our men praying together. And this is discipleship amongst us. Growing in our faith. Seeing Jesus clearly. And as we see Jesus clearly and clearer, we begin to see ourselves clearer. So this becomes a snapshot of disciple-making and pursuing Jesus. It always blows my mind here to hear people leaving a church for another church that has, and this is important, not just leaving because things are amiss or whatever, disagreements, but leaving a church that has vastly different beliefs. Vastly different beliefs on soteriology, which is salvation. It tells me that they have not pursued the teaching and doctrine of the church, but have gravitated and grappled to, but pragmatically applies to their lives. 
We do not go to church to serve or to seek to be served, but to serve. And the doctrines and teachings should be exalted. A church without solid upfront doctrine is like a hospital without beds. You end up with no foundation. I want to know more about my Lord. You know that song? I want to know more about my Jesus. I want to know more about my Lord. And knowing more about Jesus means knowing what he teaches and what he expects from his people. The problem on the landscape of Christianity today, I believe we have too many options that cater to our consumerism. I don't like what's going on here. I don't care what they believe over here, but I think I'm just going to go to this church because it looks like it's got some good programs in it. I want to know more what Jesus teaches and what he expects of his people. And if the Lord Jesus were to examine some of our methods across the landscape of Christianity, I have got to say I believe that he would turn over some tables. Now I believe, according to God's word, community is important. In fact, the word church is a reflection of community. I believe community in a church is important. But so is sound teaching. So is biblical directives. Hey, I'm a Southern Baptist. uh, Through and through. I believe there's certain distinctives that make us different. I want to know what those distinctives are. I want to know what Baptists believe. I want to know if I'm standing on the Word of God or if I'm standing on my feelings. Without the firm foundation of knowing what you believe, you will eventually end up with an empty and scattered people. You hear me? What is really going to sustain you in persecution? Is it the mentality that my church serves me? Now, the church is going to serve you. As we serve Jesus, we're going to seek to serve the people. It might not always be 100% what you might think we might do, but we're going to seek to serve regardless. Is the mentality that the church serves me going to make it through persecution, or will it be better fitting to know that my duty, my duty as a child of Christ is to serve the church that he has so graciously called me to be a part of? Feelings and experience pales in comparison when pressed against the word because my feelings, your feelings will deceive you but God's word does not. Show me Jesus more clearly. And let my feelings fall under subjection to the word of God. Give me eyes to see. Give me eyes to see. Open my eyes so I might see. The last two verses we'll read in closing. It says, Jesus laid his hands on the man again, his eyes, and his eyes were opened and his sight was restored. And he, he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home and said, do not even enter the village. Listen, no sign will be given to them. Not only that, it's not 
It might be before the Lord would want to reveal his character to the rest of the known world. He says, do not even, don't even go home. Don't go this way. Let me ask you this in closing. Do you see Jesus clearer today than you did yesterday? I have been saved since 1996. And I can see growth in my faith and people who sit in my office. I, man, I, I see great growth in people. And, and I'm like, man, I'm amazed. I see people and I talk with people. And, 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 I, and as I'm talking to them, I'm saying, here's a person. Here's somebody who wants to know more about Jesus. Who wants to draw close to him. Do you want to know more of him? He wants you to. I want to know more about Jesus more today than I did yesterday. What do you see today as the question remains? What do you see? Do you envision the church moving and serving the Lord? Yes. Do you envision Christ that died upon the old rugged cross and for your sins and rose again? Do you serve that Jesus or are you simply part of a church going through the motions? Listen, let me say this. If you're, if you're in a place and you're a Christ follower, there are avenues for you to serve. Serve Him. Serve Him. Draw near to Him and He will draw near to you. See Him more clearly today. More today than you did yesterday. Listen, I, I've known people growing up who claimed to be Christ followers. They had been saved for 60, 70 years. And they were still babes in Christ. They were still babes. They didn't fill their lives with the Word of God. They didn't fellowship with like-minded believers they didn't serve I want to know more of Jesus I want to see him clearer today than I did yesterday let's pray together shall we Lord we know that your word many times can be bitter and sweet Lord we just we lean upon you today Lord, I, I do not know who that word was for. It's for your people. Specifically, Lord, I, I, I don't know. Somebody might be listening in this morning or here, and they might say, oh, I had a bullseye on my back, and I promise that I did not put it there. Lord, you gave me the word, and whoever it's for, Lord, let May it find its lodging place in their heart and mind. Change them. And by your Holy Spirit, Lord, they would not resist. When I quench the Holy Spirit, guide them as the word has gone forward. Teach us, Lord, to see you clearer, more clear today than we did yesterday. And as the man touched, had his eyes touched by the Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, that 
I pray, Lord, that we would begin to see clearer as well. I go back to the day that I was saved. The day when I saw the world around me, not through the lens of Christ, but through my own selfish ambitions, Lord. And you touched my heart and mine and saved me. And many of us today, where we've walked with you for a long time, not perfectly, but obediently. Lord, I pray for the one who doesn't know you today. Lord, I pray that they would fall before you and ask for the forgiveness of their sins. As Jesus died on the cross and rose again, defeating sin, death, hell, and the grave. May they fall before you. We're so thankful that we as your people, Lord, we can admonish one another. We can challenge one another and do so in love. So as I bring the word and brought the word this morning in love, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would do the rest. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I ask you, if you will, as we sing a song of invitation, I ask you, if you will, if, let's stand together. Let's stand as we meditate on these words. Now, since the pandemic, we have not necessarily encouraged a, an altar call for anyone who might wanted to come and to pray upon the altar. This morning, I just feel led. If you're here this morning, and man, the word, has, the word of God has broken you as it has broken me in studying it. You know how many times I have revised and wrestled with this passage? My own self. And if I've wrestled with it, I know you have too. If you feel that you need to come to the altar, the altar is open for you this morning. Let's sing this together. Open my eyes that I may see. The words will be on the screen. Open my eyes that I may see glimpses of truth Thou hast for me. Place in my hands the wonderful key that shall unclasp and set me free. Silence me now, I wait for Thee. Ready, my God, Thou wilt to see. Open my eyes, illumine me. Spirit divine. Dan, I'm going to ask you if you just continue to play that. And all eyes closed and heads bowed. Just spend some time, quiet time, with our Lord. As we search the scriptures this morning. Do you want to see Jesus clearly? What does that mean for you? Does that mean getting in his word more? Does that mean spending quality time together with the saints in small group or discipleship? Maybe you yourself say, I, I need to disciple someone or I need, dis I need discipling. Whatever that might be, you mean business with the Lord.
Amen. It has been a wonderful time uh, to worship this morning with God's people. Uh, those watching virtually through Facebook and YouTube, we hope and, and pray that today's message and music had uh, brought you to a place of worship. Those in our fellowship hall, likewise. Uh, please remember Wednesday night, our Bible study virtually and on the radio as well. Uh, keep that in mind, and uh, keep in mind, too, if uh, you could pick the radio up here, 92.1, on Mondays, Wednesday, and Friday. We have a time of devotion and prayer uh, there as well. Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we dismiss. Lord, we thank you, uh, Lord, that you have spoken to us through your word. Sometimes, Lord, your, the word of God is bitter and sweet. Uh, Lord, I just I pray that... Uh, we would be reformed by it, changed by it. Lord, we love you. We want to see your church flourish and your people flourish. Lord, we pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Dismissed.